Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. This one really uh, touches on trying to uh, trying to give a, uh, a a research and authentic vision to to constructions or physical environments of the Revolutionary War period. That's Journal of the American Revolution contributor David Griffin talking about the Brooklyn Line Forts of 1776. And he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode is brought to you by Discover Concord, the town where our American history began. Plan to visit and explore historic Concord, Massachusetts. For more information, visit discoverconcordma.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. Today, our guest is Journal of the American Revolution contributor David Griffin and he'll be discussing the Brooklyn Line Forts of 1776. One of the things David talks about in this article is the fact that as big as the Battle of Long Island was, and as important as it was, there are still a number of unanswered questions surrounding the event, particularly whatever happened to the line of forts in Brooklyn uh, that played such a key role in the battle. His article is part detective story, part historical narrative, an overall very well-rounded attempt. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with David Griffin. David Griffin, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Tell us about your background. Yes. Uh, I, uh, my background is I am originally trained as an architect, and I have been working as a, as a professional in the field of design for uh, about 25 years, uh, but I also have an interest in, in architecture of the colonial and revolutionary war period, uh, so that is um, how my interest came about with my articles and research. What first drew your interest into this topic? Yes, uh, I write primarily about local topics of the Revolutionary War period, local or regional, to New York City, uh, where I work professionally. The, the topic has kind of drew me ever since I started reading about the Revolutionary War period and that the, the battle for New York was, was quite large and, and well written about itself, but there wasn't as much uh, written or researched regarding what the what the specific uh, constructions were or fortifications that that enveloped, were uh, located around the city of New York, and this kind of physical research is lacking, especially in New York City, where it has become so built up over time. So I've always tried to, tried to think about what 
the battlefield and the constructions that were in New York in in the early years of the Revolutionary War, what they really looked like and how they uh, functioned and acted uh, in the landscape. Tell us about the British strategy leading up to the Battle of Long Island. Yeah, uh, the the New York area was was not the as, as everyone knows was not the first uh, location for activity in the Revolutionary period. Um, Boston had been uh, occupied in the uh, in 1775, and there was activity and battles happening around Boston, but but uh, it kind of came to a stalemate, and the the British were kind of locked in in Boston. Um, so they departed, went uh, went back to Halifax, uh, regrouped, and they came back to the New York area primarily. Early because uh, there was a long, strong, sorry, a loyalist population in the region, and they thought that uh, they could persuade uh, the the conflict towards their favor by utilizing a lot of these loyalist um, uh, unit uh, people who could act as. Um, Act as additional troops to uh, help their strategy uh, and give um, give them an overwhelming uh, number of people that could uh, help them in the battle. David, could you give us a maybe a geographic overview of the land around New York City leading up to the battle? Yes. Well, uh, New York is always had an interesting landscape. Uh, the, as we know, Manhattan is an island, and on all sides were were waterways which flowed in from New York Harbor. The uh, Manhattan, the New York City at the time was actually just a small village in the tip of Manhattan. Uh, the uh, the larger land masses were over in Brooklyn and Queens, which surrounded Manhattan. Uh, and New Jersey, of course, on the western side of Manhattan. So uh, I think Manhattan itself was so important because it was so uh, it was such an uh, interesting spot for uh, for the location of ha- you know, habitation because of the, the waterways and the harbor, which allowed transportation and the bringing of goods and the, the exporting of goods out of the. the New York area, so um, it just became a, a strong focal point to the New York area, the, the lower tip of Manhattan, and uh, was also somewhat defensible because it was an island. Uh, so uh, um, you know that set the stage for the positioning of the armies around New York City. The Americans were. Uh, in New York City proper, the village, and the British came into the harbor and set up for uh, to overtake the, the city itself. How did the Americans defend these positions? Yeah, so they, the Americans, uh, set into a heavy uh, work. They set heavily into reinforcing and defending. The island of Manhattan itself. They uh, 
there was a, a British fort on the tip of Manhattan that they utilized. Uh, they adjusted it slightly. They set up barricades all around Manhattan. And then outside of um, New York City, they set up fortifications on the east side of uh, Manhattan Island in Brooklyn, on Red Hook, on Governor's Island. Um, and then they utilized a series of hilltops that uh, linked uh, across the peninsula of Brooklyn. Um, and this was part of a, a landmass of, uh, not mountains, but hilltops that ranged across the western portions of Long Island. So uh, strategically, they, they utilized the landscape to, great, to a great extent in, in establishing um, this line of, of forts, which is really what my research in the article looks at, uh, you know, what, how, trying to realize what the fortifications were actually were that set up on this uh, natural hilltop uh, surrounding. So, um, yeah, that's, that's more or less what it was happening at the time. David, you write at length about this in your article. What do we know about the creation of these line forts in Brooklyn? Yeah, uh, so as I was, I was describing a little bit earlier, uh, the the forts were the forts set themselves on the eastern boundary of Brooklyn Village, and they utilized the hilltops to the east of the village. And beyond that were uh, a number of other uh, hilltops and valleys that that uh, set itself um, in front of the works, naturally, of course. And beyond that was a, a large, flat, open landscape, uh, which became southern Brooklyn. And so they, the Americans... Uh, set up for, you know, how they could create, um, you know, we, at the time, we, at the time of the beginning of my research, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot written about how, how these came about naturally or what the construction techniques that they, they utilized. All we could do was kind of assume that they were built building in a typical fashion of other fortifications at the time. But, uh, you know, they, they utilized the, the narrowest part of the Brooklyn Peninsula and somehow, not somehow, but um, created uh, pinpoint, pinpoints where these uh, major works would set themselves altogether. There were uh, like five major forts or readouts, more or less, a readout, a, a smaller construction uh, on a landscape um, that uh, is traditionally is, is a, a fortified position that is outside of a major for, fort per se. But here, uh, a readout was used throughout the the Revolutionary War as kind of a field work that was set up 
um, and they could be built pretty quickly, and they had a, a natural um, they had a natural art to them, which was followed kind of in the construction manuals of the time. That mostly were set up by the British engineers, but the Americans utilized the same tactics and strategies in their creations or constructions. Um, so I think that they, they had the strategy to somehow create this front of five major forts and then connect them with entrenchments between them, which were defensive kind of walls or ditches, um, uh, palisades that, that connected the entire work. Why did the British choose to attack these forts? So the British were... The British came into New York Harbor, and they they didn't go too far into the harbor because they had they had information that New York City was heavily uh, fortified and defended, especially on the eastern side in the East River. So they uh, encamped on the island of uh, Staten Island, and they they kind of set up their positions for. Um, for how, and they they worked on how they were going to attempt to capture New York City. Uh, they they uh, initially they I th- they made some frontal uh, uh, frontal uh, investigations into the works around New York. They tried to sail up. Uh, Further towards the East River, and they soon realized that it was it was not a way in which they could properly um, bring their bring an attacking force into clo- close proximity to to New York City. Um, they eventually uh, landed in Southern Brooklyn, and made a land um, a land attack out this is quite a ways out from where the line of forts themselves are and they uh, went towards the, the fortification line that was their strategy to somehow capture they had knew, known that there was a large uh, American mass at the forts and they they set themselves on attacking those that position um, I don't think at the time they knew that the Americans were uh, outside. There was a number of American units outside of the the, the line of forts that uh, were planning to defend uh, their positions in battle. Uh, the British did a uh, did a general attack of those positions, but they also set up a flanking movement around. Uh, by the Jamaica Pass, which wasn't defended by the Americans, and they were able to get actually around the American front of uh, troops that were on the battlefield. And in doing that, they were actually, they could get behind the Americans, the American line fell, and they were able to um, set themselves up in front of the the line of forts uh, in Brooklyn. I think that this was uh, naturally through their uh, um, through their uh, investigation of 
New York in general, that the British formed their opinion that this was the the way that they wanted to uh, attack New York. They couldn't really get behind New York or land anywhere easily on New York, uh, on Manhattan Island, to somehow attack from the back. They, I think Brooklyn, in the end, was allowed for a large staging position for the the British Army. Um, it gave them some movement and space to make several kind of attacks on the Americans. Um, and, you know, I think that it, it was successful in what they did um, and were able to uh, set themselves for a possible attack on the forts, which didn't happen. How did these forts perform in battle? Just finished uh, saying they they were the British had set themselves up in front of the forts, but they were actually halted at this line of forts. So um, you know there isn't much written of of what was happening in the days right after the Battle of Brooklyn when the British were halted. Uh, there was some uh, there there was a little bit of skirmishing going on written about between the British and the Americans. The British had utilized a, a position that is on, you can actually see it on one of the maps that's in my article on the, the Spruill map, which was is maybe one of the, probably the best representation right now of the battlefield and the, the forts themselves in Brooklyn. Um, they the British utilized a, a higher point of land that was, it may have been uh, out of the defensible line of the Americans, so they didn't utilize this height or one of the other uh, 19th century authors speculates that it may not, it, it may have been worded and, and not realized until very late that it was a, a position which was it's called commanding ground, usually where there's a position that's higher and a fortified um, than a fortified work. And the British were were able to set up uh, lines to to do a general siege of the British works. Um, beyond that, as I said, some skirmishing, but uh, after. After two days after the battle, the uh, General Washington and the American line actually retreated. Um, so we don't really know exactly how the forts may have held out. Um, some of the some of the writing that was done after, in which the um, General William Howe was criticized for for you know, not capturing and ending, uh, not, not making an attempt to attack these forts and somehow uh, lead to the end of the American forces, possibly. Um, in that criticism, it talks about, uh, you know, how General Howard had seen the position as very strong and his, his engineers at the time saw it as, as well-fortified positions, um, and he just didn't 
because he lacked information, he was very cautious in uh, uh, applying a general assault to the line for it. So uh, all we can say is that they were they were very strong. I'm sure to visually, um, what, you know, whether whether there was any details in particular that made them uh, exceptionally strong, I, I don't think so necessarily. They probably just utilized general uh, construction techniques at the time. And so I go into that a little bit on the article of speculating, not speculating, but using some of the best guesses we have of what construction, what constructions were being utilized uh, by the Americans at the time. Um, of this battle. David, what ultimately happens to these forts? Yeah, the, the forts themselves, uh, be, they were captured by the British, and uh, as I said, the, the American army retreated. The, the British came into the forts. Uh, they, they, may have, um, they may have utilized them for a small amount of time, it's hard to say, but eventually they were totally demolished by the, the British Army. Uh, one of the maps uh, and that I uh, use as a source of information, this Brule map I talk about, by, uh, by eight, 1781, he notes that the, the British forts, I mean, sorry, the American positions had all been destroyed by the, that time. Um, the 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 ongoing history is that uh, you know, they were destroyed within the the Revolutionary War period, but um, the, even the even the hillside natural landscape, um, you know, the hilltop positions that these forts are on, were eventually more or less taken out. The the the, uh, the entire landscape. Uh, that would have made that position unique uh, was leveled in the development of New York City. Um, I think that this is what makes some of this research really, really interesting and actually very difficult. Is that uh, we can't even we can't even use some of our natural um, uh, research techniques in that we can't analyze a, a landscape. That, that exists for his tactical uh, tactical advantages, etc., um, because there's just nothing left. And probably most of the artifacts that were were part of the archaeology of these forts had has been removed or is is buried under several layers of debris and construction debris, etc. Um, so it's kind of a sad history, but uh, an interesting research topic to try to imagine or visualize uh, what this landscape was like at the time. How does this article help us understand the revolutionary era better? Well, I think this is actually the most interesting question, I think, because it, it touches on, on why, I, why I do my research, especially on this particular topic. Um, some of my other research has to do with fortifications and built architecture. But uh, this one really uh, touches on trying to, uh, trying to give a, uh, a, 
a research and authentic vision to to constructions or physical environments of the Revolutionary War period, uh, especially in a landscape where there is nothing, absolutely nothing recognizable from the 18th century. Uh, that's that's the that's the ultimate reality of of the Revolutionary War in New York City is that it was probably the large it was the largest and the most um, the longest period of of conflict and occupation and and, and yet the the city itself has been so changed and developed that the 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 visioning and the uh, research uh, is is totally lacking even before you start. I mean, um, you have you have nothing that can guide you in the way of eighteenth um, century clues. Yeah, even even the roadways, you know, that that somehow become uh, beneficial in understanding a historical landscape. Um, there's very few of them left that you could trace. Uh, so, I think that this is this is putting together um, putting together a vision of. The 18th century, but it's also uh, attempting to to, to use uh, other research and knowledge from other fortifications that were built at the time by the American Army, other techniques that were utilized that we don't know exactly whether they were utilized or not. But there's a very good chance. So, so in doing all this uh, analysis and research, you're able to. Um, come closer to understanding, uh, you know, an 18th century uh, major event that has vanished completely. David Griffin, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.